you for tuning in to the BPL podcast today. I'm Leanne, your special guest host, back for the second of our two-part series featuring artists from the Bexley Art Library. I'm a librarian at Bexley Public Library, and last time I spoke with artist and educator Beverly Whiteside about her work in the Bexley Art Library, Onward, Be Kind, Be Strong, Be Amazing. We discussed how her background as a dance teacher influences her work, and why depicting scenes of Black people, real or imaginary, is important to her. Make sure to give that episode a listen. On this episode, I'll be speaking with another artist featured in the Bexley Art Library, Christine DePiro Abbott. But before we cut to that interview, here's a little bit about the Bexley Art Library. We recently launched the BAL, or Bexley Art Library, in October 2020. It is a circulating collection of 15 works of original artists by regional artists from Franklin County. You can check out these works of art and bring them home with you for the standard checkout period of 28 days, just like a book, magazine, movie, or any of our other library materials. These are works of art that the artists themselves touched. They are not reproductions. The artwork in the Bexley Art Library depicts a range of styles, mediums, and subject. So I really believe that there is something for everyone in that collection. Out of over 200 submissions to our open call for art, the 15 pieces that are now in the BAL were chosen by a jury of Central Ohio Arts Community Professionals, including representatives from the Ohio Arts Council's Rife Gallery, the King Arts Complex, the Schumacher Gallery at Capitol University, Creative Control Fest, and of course, representatives from Bexley Public Library. To highlight the collection, I wanted to bring two of the artists whose work is featured in the collection on the podcast to talk about their work, what inspires them, and specifically about the piece that you can check out from the Bexley Art Library. In this episode, the second of our two-part series, you'll be introduced to Christine DePiro Abbott. Christine studied printmaking at the Glasgow One School of Art in Glasgow, Scotland, while completing her BFA at the Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus, Ohio. She received her MFA from Washington University in St. Louis. Following her MFA, Christine was an artist in residence for a year at the Luminary in St. Louis, Missouri. She also completed an artist residency at the Vermont Studio Center in Johnson, Vermont. She has exhibited extensively in Columbus, Ohio, and St. Louis, Missouri, as well as nationally. Her work is included in the permanent art collections at the Hilton Columbus Downtown and the Greater Columbus Convention Center. Professionally, she has taught elementary age to college students with a wide variety of backgrounds and has over 10 years experience in a commercial art gallery setting. She is currently a core member at Phoenix Rising Printmaking Cooperative. So hello, Christine, and welcome. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. My pleasure. So the first thing that I that really stuck out to me as I was making the material for the collection, um, like the advertisements and stuff, was that you had studied in Glasgow. And um, I actually taught a 2D design course at uh, history, 2D design history course at the Columbus College of Art and Design. It is not something I have a background in, but I taught a course on it. And if I remember correctly, Glasgow has a has a very rich history of printmaking and especially in the Art Nouveau period um, when printmaking was really taking off. Um, so have you always been a printmaker at heart? Have you worked in other mediums? And like, how did working in Glasgow and studying in Glasgow uh, influence you? 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd say my um, my experience in Glasgow was somewhat brief. I mean, that was my first time overseas. I was there for three months and I didn't know what to expect. And you're right. It has a rich history, especially around the turn of the century. Um, it has a very rich um, history, um, also in architecture. Um, yeah, I've actually um, been a printmaker since high school. So I took Saturday morning art classes um, uh, in high school and was introduced to intaglio printmaking at CCAD, um, did monotype printmaking in high school. And um, both of my degrees are general visual arts degrees, but um, I feel like printmaking has been a thread that I've really since returned to. Um, and at this point, in a much more committed way, my primary focus has typically been two-dimensional work. So drawing, painting, printmaking with some installation. But um, now I've really um, become a committed printmaker. The piece that's in the collection. So you mentioned, mm-hmm. and I always struggle with this word. I read it. But in what type of print? <laughs> Intel? So, yeah, it's an intaglio. So, okay. so the gentleman that introduced me to um, printmaking was from... Gosh, I want to say he's from the Bronx. He's from New York. And so he, um, and I'll never forget this. He said, it's Italian printing. It's not lasagna. The G is done. <laughs> yeah, it's an yeah. Italian word, right? Not, Italian. Not, okay. Okay. Yeah, not lasagna. Now you will. Yes. And Perfect. then you'll feel really silly if you say it incorrectly. So can you explain, because I, I still struggle. So um, what is... I mean, I think people, especially not in the artistic community, can get a little bit confused when we start talking about prints and then printmaking. So a big selling point for me about the Bexley Art Library is that it's a, a collection of original works of art. And so, you know, they're like, people will be like, oh, like they used to have an art library. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Those were reproductions. And I don't know, to me, there's, you know, this, it's this wonderful thing that you get to actually, you know, experience this original work of art. And so intaglio printmaking, what is that? Like, what is the method sure. behind that? Printmaking, there's really four uh, types of printmakings, um, silkscreen, uh, intaglio, uh, relief, and lithography. Um, and one um, distinguishment that's um, helpful is the, is the term hand-pulled prints. So the um, artwork is all um, touched and handled by the artist. There are more than one, but each piece has some unique characteristics um, because it was printed by hand by the artist um, versus done digitally and printed um, with without um, basically the artist hand. So um, the piece that's included in the um, collection is an, an edition of six. That's also an indication of how um, kind of time intensive it is to, to create each one and how unique the works really are versus a reproduction may come in reproductions of like 250 plus. Mm-hmm. So that's a helpful distinguishment. Another helpful distinguishment is when the work is created by hand with the artist, typically um, as you look close, there are indications of that. Um, The texture, the surface of the paper, um, the kind of ink that's used, it's not gonna have a slick flat surface like a digital reproduction will. It's gonna um, 
look handmade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it has that kind of like texture to it, Um, which then we could get into a whole discussion about like handmade versus machine made. Andy Warhol, what have you done? Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So now printmaking does have a rich history because of the ability for reproduction. Um, Even somebody's not familiar with printmaking per se may understand the the, uh, concept of the Gutenberg press and really how um, (laughs) significantly significant that was historically um, for the ability for so many people to read because um, of the press to make so many reproductions. So printmaking Mm -hmm. has this long, rich history, this um, democratic history of access to fine artworks, um, then the history of painting. So I'm, and I'm not going to get into that, but it's, it is a (laughs) wonderful history. Yeah, Um, that's that's, a whole other podcast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's really, um, that is part and parcel of making prints. Um, but now the work that I created is a dry point and monotype. So dry point, um, and you can really kind of get into the weeds technically, so I won't do that. But dry point comes under the category of intaglio printmaking. Intaglio refers to the manner in which you apply the ink to the surface um, rather than the way the, the plate was created. So the most common form of an intaglio printmaking is etching. So most people really closely associate those two things. And is that where like it looks um, hand-drawn? Um, yes, there's a close relationship to drawing okay. with etching. Now, my piece was hand-drawn. So instead of using um, acid to create lines into a plate, I had a piece of plexiglass instead of a piece of metal. And I used a what's considered an etching tool. It's called a twisted scribe, but I used basically a tool that has a um, sharp um, point to it to scratch into the plexiglass to create um, indentations into the plexiglass. So, and then I printed it as an, the same way you would actually print an etching. So the indentations are incised into the surface. And when you print it, you card the ink and you push ink into the surface. And then, uh, I'm sorry, you push ink into those indentations And then you wipe the surface clean. So you can imagine that a piece of plexiglass or a piece of metal that is a slick surface that doesn't have any scratches or indentations, the ink is going to wipe off Mm -hmm. um, pretty easily. Yeah. And then those are printed with a press. You cannot print them by hand. They need a lot more pressure. And you dampen the paper. Um, You use blankets on the press. And so the dampened paper on top of the prepared plate blankets sent through a press, and then that's printed. And then my particular image, I had an addition of, of monotype. That's the co- that's the color. So that's actually two separate oh, okay. plates. I was so just... I, two separate passes through the press. Okay, because... Um, so if you'll bear with me, I'm going to describe the piece to your listener, or to our listeners. Um, so the piece in the Bexley Art Library, it's called Floater. Um, it's 11 by 14 inches, just like all of our pieces. It's a work on paper. Um, and it features prominent swaths of like orange, blue. There's also a yellow and a, I couldn't figure out, it's like a salmony, almost pink color block. Um, and then the backdrop, it, which is kind of the backdrop for these intricate detailed line works that depict the interior of the living room. Um, and I think that the way that the that you've described the living room with those lines, it's both detailed, but it's also kind of like an impression. Like some of it is a little bit more of an impression of a room. Um, but definitely, I think what the viewer would notice is that it's a real room. Like mm-hmm. they could walk into that. Or even if you didn't recognize the space, you would be able to recognize it if you walked into it. Um, but it still maintains that sort of like charming 
impression. Like this is still your take on the room. Um, so were each of those color blocks then a different pass? Like how did you get the different colors on the on the print? Yeah. And I, I think that's a great description of actually what I'm intending to do with, with my imagery. So this piece floater exists within my kind of overall body of work. And I really mm -hmm. am trying to have a convincing space with interesting details that you notice, but then it's also abstracted so that you kind of get a sense of what's happening in the room mm -hmm. um, through the mark making and the energy of the piece um, versus um, tell telling it really literally. Um, so the second plate is actually a very different um, way that I made that. So I had another piece of plexiglass. I actually used recycled plastic from food packaging. Um, so just um, like salad containers, um, anything with like flat plastic packaging. Mm -hmm. And then I actually just cut them into the shapes that I wanted onto a clear piece of plexiglass. So everything's clear. So I actually, so I layered it on top of the the dry point on top of my drawing. Okay. So I could see how those shapes would interact with each other. It's all clear, mm -hmm. use double stick tape. And then I um, applied ink to them uh, and sent them through the press. Um, and it's the same time that I print the um, dry point because the paper can only can be dampened once. So it's all one pass. Wow. So, okay. the, so the print got sent through the press twice, first with the dry point and then second with the color. And you'll notice when you look at the color, they're all distinct shapes. Mm -hmm. So I actually did print those all at the same time. Um, I just had out basically a palette of color. When I print, I love to experiment. So I have my drawing that gets developed into a dry point. And then when I go into the studio to print, I'm really spontaneous. I don't necessarily have a color palette in mind or a way to approach it. And then um, with this one, you can see that the shapes have these kind of weird marks around them. Mm -hmm. um, so that was actually just from a tool called a brayer. It's like a roller mm -hmm. um, where the ink kind of slipped over the edges. And I like yeah. that. Um, oh, okay. So that was spontaneous. It is this, it's a, it's an interior that I would like to be in. It feels calm, but there's also almost a, a on the edge of chaos energy that you kind of feel it kind of vibrates. So I, I like, yeah, I see where you like, with, I have a, picture of it here but the color <laughs> kind of on the outside but yeah. it's interesting that you you know you kind of the word just escaped me but yeah you kind of come into it without maybe necessarily an idea of the palette because those colors do seem so cohesive um well like when I'm describing them to the listeners if you haven't seen a picture of it it sounds like oh there's like these you know it's all the primary colors but they work really nicely together you like found that perfect like value or something that brings them all together which is really nice and so if you could talk a little bit, I guess, too, about where you make your art. Um, so you're a core member at Phoenix Rising. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what is Phoenix Rising? And it's here in Columbus. Um, can you yeah, tell us a, a little bit question. about it? Yeah, I love to talk about Phoenix. So Phoenix um, Rising Printmaking Cooperative is a cooperative. So it's a collection of artists. And we have our practice centered around a studio here in downtown Columbus on, off of 5th Street. So it was actually established in uh, 1998. So it's been around for over 20 years. And so it's got a, a big group of alumni artists and continuing core members. And so as a core member, I uh, uh, have 24-hour access to the studio. But then I also have additional responsibilities to keep our studio as a nonprofit um, going. And our shop, it has capabilities for um, three printmaking processes uh, for relief, silkscreen, and intaglio, um, which is significant. And um, we do workshops, we have one-on-one -on -one lessons, we have opportunities for people who are just curious to get to know what we do, and then um, all the way up to really a professional level shop. And the great thing about printmaking, and this is 
is that it is a very collaborative art medium in the sense that, uh, by contrast, whereas painting kind of has that imagery or that history of um, artists working alone in the studio, most printmakers work together because they have a need for shared equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that flow of ideas happens really naturally um, as you work in the same space together and um, most people don't have the space in the pocketbook to afford a huge press. Um, right. So it makes a lot of sense to work collaboratively. And it kind of also ties in really neatly with a kind of democratic history of making yeah. prints as well. It's um, part of what makes printmaking special and part of what makes being a core member of a print shop special too. It just brings to like this idea in my head of some, you know, um, ragtag group of, you know, revolutionaries, like printing out their pamphlets and then throwing them in the streets of Les Mis or something like that. You know, it's that idea of all working together. And certainly, you know, with a lot of that equipment, yeah, it's similar to ceramics in the way that not everyone can have a kiln at their house. Sure. And so it's great to kind of share the costs of, of those things. It usually means, too, that printmakers know each other. I was always attracted to that even, I'd say, even since high school. I've always been attracted to that communal aspect of making. Yeah, and it's really cool to remember that art, fine art, you know, can be and is collaborative. Mm -hmm. It isn't necessarily the, you know, lone genius in their attic studio, (laughs) you know, or whatever it is that it is. It can can be collaborative and and we can share it. Um, So... As one of the 15 artists represented in the Bexley Art Library, you're one of a handful, actually, of Bexley residents, correct? Yes, yeah. And though we wanted to make sure that the, for various reasons, but we did want to highlight um, Franklin County artists, sure. um, we didn't necessarily, you know, say you have to live in Bexley to be in this collection, but it turned out that the jury ended up choosing, you know, a few people who live in Bexley. And so I was wondering, like, is there anything about Bexley specifically that you think makes it a special place for art or artists or? That's a great question. Yeah, we love Bexley. I've been in Bexley for over five years now. Um, I didn't grow up in, in Bexley, which enough people circle back. That's a fair thing to say. Def- yes, I have worked <laughs> in Bexley long enough to know that that is definitely a fair thing to say for sure. Yeah, um, but we love the community here. So, um, and this kind of both overlaps with Bexley and my work itself is I'm a parent. So I have, mm-hmm. uh, my kids are uh, five and four and I've got another one on the way. You know, this is a great, just an excellent place as a family and as an artist. I mean, it has, I've felt very supported and for me, those two roles are just uh, both artist and parent are just, they commingle. They inspire my work. They're my everyday. And I think a lot of people can relate to just the experience of being a parent. So I'm trying to express a part of that in the work without being too overt. I mean, I'm not, I'm interested in making work that speaks to audiences besides parents, mm-hmm. but um, the idea of kind of being in your space all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as far as having my work in the Pexley Public Library, it's a huge honor. So um, it really is meaningful to me. I've gotten to know the librarians. I was, especially pre-COVID, a re- real regular tender of story time. We yeah. love the children's library. Yeah, it really brings things kind of full circle. And the imagery in my work, you know, being my space, I'm kind of inviting people into my home. So it makes sense that the community would be kind of invited into my pr- 
personal space too. Yeah. If you want to talk a little bit more about that, I think you mentioned when you were talking about Floater, the piece that's in the collection specifically, but you mentioned that it's part of your broader work. But yeah, if you wouldn't mind kind of telling us how does, you know, motherhood and parenthood play into your broader work? Um, Well, what's actually um, interesting about, so I've been working with imagery of domestic spaces for over 10 years now. Wow. Where it started was not being a parent. So, which I think is kind of interesting. So I, after I graduated um, graduate school, I had an experience where I was living in a carriage house in St. Louis. So I was taking care of someone else's home and then kind of living in this separate living space over their garage, which is kind of part of the artist's life. Um, And so I was in their space regularly over and over and over again and had that sense of care for someone else's space. And so that's actually where I started doing um, interior scenes from memory, just from being in that same space over and over again in that sense of care. And then uh, I've done other work. I've worked with other motifs. And then when I was home with my kids, because I've been home primarily, I've done things professionally, but I've been home primarily with my kids. Being in the same space over and over again, it just made sense to return to that imagery. And it also was the same time I really returned to printmaking in full force. So returning to um, making multiples. So the idea of being in the same space over and over again, where I'm kind of redepicting the same mm-hmm. rooms. And you'll see if you look um, at, my, at my body of work, I've got a website, christinedepiroabbott.com. You'll see some of the same furniture, the same rooms. It's still the same space. But I found that um, as my kids grow and change, mm-hmm. things continue to evolve. And at this point, they're kind of developing their own narratives through play that I find really inspiring. Um, this idea of like a world within a world. And then this past year with COVID, the work felt very timely. Uh, all of a sudden, everyone, everyone not everyone, but m- many people around the globe were um, really, were, were home. You know, they're home. They're in their space, yeah. reconnecting with their space. Um, it was this kind of forced shared experience. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were kind of all of a sudden kind of grappling what it means in, in a new and a fresh way of like what it means to be in the same space. Um, it's really fascinating as you were talking and I don't, you know, not to overstate it, but I, I was thinking about how artists, you know, in the history of time. So even someone like, no, we won't go back that far, but we'll go back to like Mary Cassatt, right? She's sure. a groundbreaking female artist. And one of the reasons that she was groundbreaking was because she was depicting intimate interior moments with mm-hmm. mothers and children, which is not something that we saw really in fine art up until that point in Europe. Um, I'm speaking generally, but you know, in Europe, up until that point. And, you know, she was influenced by Japanese prints, you know, it's all of this sort of thing. And I think it's in that same tradition of, you know, you're bringing your perspective as a mother and as a caregiver, which is something that we, you know, code as being very feminine, you know, Mm -hmm. taking care of a home, that's something we traditionally think of as feminine. And then it's interesting that it, it turns sort of on its head during COVID to become something that there's no reason to code it as feminine because we're all stuck inside. And so I just, that's like a very cool line to draw from like Mary Cassatt to you as like in this tradition of depicting the interiors and and how that's meaningful to you. Um, and I'm wondering, so I haven't looked at your entire body of work, but in Floater, and I think in some of the others, there's an absence of figures. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and that's really in- intentional. I have w- one piece I created last year that's like the closest thing to a self-portrait. The fig- there's, there it, technically, there's a figure, but you have to kind of look for it. Okay. I'm, I'm reflected in a mirror. But really, you're right. It, they are um, intentionally um, 
devoid of figures. Uh, for me, I feel like that's a, a way for the viewer to imagine themselves in the imagery much more than um, if there are figures there, it's the, the narrative's already kind of taken place in front of you. You don't feel to insert yourself in it necessarily as well. And Kasat's actually an interesting figure because she didn't have children of her own. Mm-hmm. So um, she really approached that subject matter as an observer, wh- which I think's an, an interesting to note. And, and certainly things as far as caregiving and um, perspective, uh, our kind of cultural perspective on caregiving has certainly evolved over the years, an understanding of that. But I would, I will say it's, it's work that happens behind the scenes. You know, it's work that happens in the home. It's usually work that doesn't happen out in public per se. It's something that right. happens um, in private spaces. And so because of that, it hasn't always, the value that it is, is nuanced and isn't always expressed in the same way that other public yeah, um, exactly. activities are. If right. It has a different function. Yeah. And this is what I love about, especially contemporary art, where there isn't, you know, this like, well, the Pope dictated that we painted a thing and, you know, sure, or it's yeah. a biblical scene, or, which are all fine, but, yeah. you know, whatever, um, you know, or it's just, oh, it's like, a party on a boat, you know, it's this thing. It's like when you really get to know kind of the artist and what went into making it, your thoughts. And and then yeah. you still allow the, the viewer to kind of participate and see something in it. I know when I first saw it, you know, and then I read your bio and it's like, there is this idea of family, but then the family's not present. And it's kind of this like, you know, with the background of COVID that almost melancholy, like absence in a way, but you might not always read it that way, you know, so and you get to put yourself in it, which is really wonderful. I think that's where it's helpful that the artist knows their audience, you know, they kind of have a philosophy of, of making. And for me, both influenced by my schooling and, and by some time I spent in the commercial world mm. is, um, is for me, I always want a part of my work to be really accessible, where I put the cookies on the low shelf, if you will, where there's a part of the imagery that a lot of people can connect with. And then as you spend time with it, you realize that there's more nuance. Um, and that's, I think that's a really interesting approach. I feel like people have a very, they either go with that approach or it's very much like, this is my art. And if you don't get it, that's fine. <laughs> and they're, Or they're creating, really, um, there are artists that are kind of creating work to speak to the art world. They're, they're, they are um, really relying heavily on, on history and kind of quoting from history um, mm-hmm. like you would maybe see in literature, but they're doing it visually. Um, and so they just have a different audience that they're creating work for, where I'd say, it's not that I'm not making work for that audience. I'm not trying to avoid that per se. I mean, I, I would mm-hmm. say that there's an understanding of history and the imagery itself. But um, sure. but I'm also not making work exclusively for that audience either. Well, we are happy to be your audience, and we're so thrilled <laughs> to have Floater in the collection. Um, before uh, we wrap up, is there anything you would like to plug? You mentioned your website. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, I'm a fine artist who's continuing to make work. So my website is Christine C H R I S T I N E Depiro D E P I R O Abbott A B B O T T Dot com. So yeah, if you ever want to reach out to me, you're welcome to contact me via my website. Um, I still make work and exhibit here in Columbus. As I said, I'm expecting in like a matter of weeks <laughs> <laughs> this year, that will certainly influence my time in, in the studio. But I also want to um, plug Phoenix Rising Printmaking Cooperative. Like I said, we've been here for a long time and we offer workshops, um, classes, one-on-one memberships and um, uh, one-on-one classes and and membership-based access to our studio and 
it's really a great organization to get to know, become a part of, and support as well. So the website is actually Phoenix Rising printmaking.org. Um, Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the BPL podcast today. We hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to check out artwork from the Bexley Art Library, all you need to do is get a Bexley Library card. You can do this either by giving us a call or visiting our website. Follow Christine DePiro Abbott on Instagram at C DePiro, D-E-P-I-R-O Abbott, A-B-B-O-T-T, and find her website at www.christinedepiroabbott.com. For the most up-to-date information about what the library is doing, follow Bexley Public Library across platforms at Bexley Library, and our website is bexleylibrary.org. If you liked what you heard today, please help us grow by telling a friend. Rate us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. Bye! Bye!